Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled The Blessing of Commandments, was given on September 10th of 1974 by Dallin H. Oaks, then president of Brigham Young University. I'm now in my fourth year as president of Brigham Young University. I've given several talks in the course of that time outlining the opportunities and responsibilities of students of Brigham Young University. The most recent, Challenges for the Year Ahead, which was given a year ago, has been printed and mailed to each of you, and those of you who did not receive copies can pick one up at the information desk in the administration building during the next few days. I urge all students to familiarize themselves with the content of that message. It contains many important things that I will not repeat here. I hold the view that when things are written down and put in form that they can be consulted readily by people of college and university age maturity. It's not necessary to repeat them again and again to hold them responsible for the contents. So this will be a devotional talk and not a president's message. I will speak about matters that pertain to students but also to members of the Church everywhere. My topic concerns attitudes. My objective is to encourage you to look upon the commandments of God as a gift for your blessing and to look upon your own talents as something you have a duty to magnify by every effort at your disposal. The Lord said this about the persons who would build up the land of Zion. Blessed are they whose feet stand upon the land of Zion, who have obeyed my gospel, for they shall receive for their reward the good things of the earth, and it shall bring forth in its strength. And they shall be crowned with blessings from above, yea, with commandments not a few, and with revelations in their time. From the Lord's preface to the Book of Commandments, which is our Doctrine and Covenants, we find the Lord saying this, These commandments are of me, and were given unto my servants in their weakness, after the manner of their language, that they might come to an understanding. And inasmuch as they erred, it might be made known, and inasmuch as they sought wisdom, they might be instructed, and inasmuch as they sinned, they might be chastened that they might repent, and inasmuch as they were humbled, they might be made strong and blessed from on high, and receive knowledge from time to time. <clears throat> and elsewhere in the Doctrine and Covenants we read that the Lord sent forth His gospel and gave His commandments to prepare the weak for those things which are coming on the earth, that men might be made partakers of the glories which were to be revealed. Commandments are a blessing, my brothers and sisters, because the Lord has given them to us in order to help us grow and help us develop the qualities we must have if we are to obtain eternal life and dwell with our Father in heaven. By keeping these commandments, we qualify for these blessings. 
There is a law, we are told, irrevocably decreed in the heaven before the foundations of the earth upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. Until I read that again in the Doctrine and Covenants in preparation for this talk, I did not realize the juxtaposition of that principle to some important instruction about learning. If you will go to the 130th section of the Doctrine and Covenants and read those verses, notice the two verses just before. They deal with whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And then the succeeding verse, if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. And then the next verse is, There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven upon which all blessings are predicated. I see a real relationship between that principle and the activity of learning in which we are engaged, in which all of our Heavenly Father's children are or should be engaged. Now, for purposes of illustration, <clears throat> I will review various commandments with a comment on the blessings of obedience or the consequences of disobedience. First, chastity. Time after time, the scriptures teach us that no unclean thing can enter the kingdom of God or dwell in His presence. We are warned against sexual sin because it is among the gravest of sins, which will forever separate us from God, subject only to prolonged and painful repentance, and which will in any case cause an immediate withdrawal of the guiding Spirit of the Lord. As Paul taught in his first letter to the Corinthians, if we defile the temple of God, which is our body, the Spirit of God will withdraw from us. Similarly, the prophet Helaman described the terrible state of the Nephites who had been weakened by their unbelief and wickedness. The Spirit of the Lord, he said, did no more to preserve them. Yea, it had withdrawn from them, because the Spirit of the Lord doth not dwell in unclean temples. Therefore the Lord did cease to preserve them. Consider the blessings associated with the law of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy was the commandment the Lord gave to the children of Israel for a perpetual covenant, a sign, he said, a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. When the Savior came, he rejected most of the technicalities that Talmudic scholars had built around Sabbath observance, but he reaffirmed the sacredness of the Sabbath and taught that it was lawful to do well on the Sabbath and that the Sabbath was made for man. In our own day, through prophets, the Lord has taught us to rest from your labors, go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacraments, pay thy devotions unto the Most High, that thou mayest keep thyself unspotted from the world, and that thy joy may be full. People who use the Sabbath day as a time of shopping, fishing, boating, or other recreational or business activities deprive themselves of the blessings of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a blessing to man as a time of spiritual growth and refreshment. As Brigham Young taught, the Sabbath was given for the benefit of man, 
not, he said, imposed upon him as a taskmaster in the form of a rigid discipline, but bestowed upon him as a blessing, a favor, and a mercy." End of quote. Persons who fail to keep the Sabbath lose an opportunity for spiritual growth and the rich companionship of the Spirit of the Lord. I had a personal experience that reinforced for me for all of my life the importance of observing the Sabbath. As a Brigham Young University student, married with two small children to support, I had a job which required me to work on the Sabbath. I did not enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath in as full a measure as I should have enjoyed despite my efforts always to attend at least one of my meetings on the Sabbath. When I left this campus to study at the University of Chicago, my mother reminded me that my father had never studied during his professional training—he was a medical doctor that he had never studied on the Sabbath. And she said to me very casually, Son, if you want to enjoy that blessing, you should arrange your activities so that you never study, so that you never do anything on the Sabbath except partake of the spiritual food that's available to you on the Lord's Day. I made up my mind then that I would observe the Sabbath faithfully and that I would try to qualify for the blessings of spiritual growth and companionship of the Spirit that come from observing faithfully the Sabbath of our Father in Heaven. I testify to you that I realize those blessings in measurable ways on innumerable occasions. My concern for the Sabbath is to earn the blessings available to those who observe it, not to keep myself from sinning. My attitude is to look on the keeping of the Sabbath as a gift of my Heavenly Father to teach me what I should do if I want to enjoy His richest blessings. It's that attitude that I encourage myself and you to develop toward all of our Father in Heaven's commandments. We read this in Isaiah about the Sabbath, and I affirm to you its truth. If thou turn away thy foot from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, a holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it." Some commandments are given with an express promise. Tithing comes with a promise of material blessings. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, and all nations shall call you blessed. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Tithing also has its spiritual blessings in preparing us for celestial glory. In his sixth lecture on faith, the Prophet Joseph Smith spoke these words, which to me are memorable. 
they can be applied not only to whatever small sacrifice we might make in paying our tithing, but they apply to every sacrifice we are called upon to make in keeping the commandments of God. <clears throat> Let us here observe, the Prophet Joseph Smith said, that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. For from the first existence of man, the faith necessary unto the enjoyment of life and salvation never could be obtained without the sacrifice of all earthly things. Those then who make the sacrifice will have the testimony that their course is pleasing in the sight of God, and those who have this testimony will have faith to lay hold on eternal life and will be enabled through faith to endure unto the end and receive the crown that is laid up for them that love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ." End of quote. There are other commandments that give reasons or promised blessings. Here's one that applies particularly to each of us, I suppose. Retire to thy bed early. And here's the reason, that ye may not be weary. Arise early. There's the second part of that, perhaps the more difficult part of that counsel. Arise early, that your body and minds may be invigorated. Now those that aren't interested in having vigorous bodies and minds, I submit, need not have the same degree of concern with that commandment that those are who are concerned about that subject. Here's another, which is a great favorite of mine. And all saints who remember to keep and do these things, walking in obedience to the commandments, you recognize that as from the 89th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Word of Wisdom. We all know that we are taught and we covenant to abstain from alcohol, tobacco, tea, and coffee. Why? The Lord tells us in the Word of Wisdom. He gives us a promise. All saints who remember to keep and do these things, walking in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel and marrow to their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. And I, the Lord, give unto them a promise that the destroying angel shall pass them by as the children of Israel and not slay them. During this past two weeks, we have seen evidence in the daily press of the destroying angel passing by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in statistically measurable degree with respect to their death rate from all types of cancer, a phenomenal difference between members of this Church and other people generally. But to me, in this community of learning, more important even than the physical blessings of the Word of Wisdom are the spiritual blessings. When the Lord promises thus that we will find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, I suggest to you, without knowing that this is the case, I suggest to you that what is referred to there is the office and mission of the Holy Ghost to teach us, to guide us into all truth, to bring all things to our recollection. Those are the promises of the Spirit contained in the New Testament. 
And I suggest to you that those who break the word of wisdom forfeit the companionship of that spirit and forfeit the blessing of being led to find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge by the companionship of that spirit, which is available to us if we live worthily, including faithful observance of the word of wisdom. We should rejoice in the commandments of God and recognize them as a valuable gift from a loving father to his children. For what doth it profit a man if a gift is bestowed upon him, and he receive not the gift? Behold, he rejoice not in that which is given unto him, neither rejoices in him who is the giver of the gift. We are taught by the commandments of God how we can cleanse ourselves from sin. The various steps of repentance include recognition of the wrong, resolve to do right, and restitution. These steps prepare us for the spiritual growth necessary to overcome the effects of sin and to rise above it. I recall a young man that I was asked to see, a member of this church, though not an active member and never faithful in the observance of his covenants, even from his youth. This young man was in jail in Chicago. As a member of the stake presidency, I received a letter from loving parents in the West who said, Would you visit our son? I got to jail and found him there charged with the murder of his baby. He and his wife, not a member of the church, had had a youngster less than six months old crying. This fellow who had not learned how to school his emotions had seized the baby in a fit of anger and struck it in the face with his fist, breaking some of the bones in the head, severing the spinal column, and killing the child. He was charged with murder. I had the responsibility of talking with him and giving him such comfort as I could give and preparing him for what I consider to be his inevitable sentence to the penitentiary, as indeed turned out to be the case. I said to him, you have got to prepare yourself to go to the penitentiary. You have killed a human being. And he said, I didn't mean to, and I'm sorry. Why must I be punished? This was his entire attitude during the period of our interview, he could see no reason for him to be punished because he felt that once he said he was sorry, no further act of contrition, no suffering, no repentance on his part was necessary beyond saying that he was sorry. That kind of attitude is an attitude of ignorance toward eternal law. It's an attitude that will, until it is changed, prevent that young man from entering upon the long and difficult road of repentance. It's an attitude that will embitter his soul as he endures, as he now is, I think, the punishment necessary for one who has taken the life of a human being even without intent to kill. In contrast, consider the attitude of the students who write me. I receive these letters perhaps one a month or sometimes more frequently. They write confessing that they have plagiarized or cheated on their work at Brigham Young University. Some of these letters I receive are from the mission field or from young men or young women who are or are soon to be called on missions. And they say, I have something on my conscience I wish to clear in XY100 or XY110. I cheated, or I plagiarized a paper. I wish to clear that, my soul of that. Here is the information. I am ready to take my punishment, a reduction in grade, or a loss of credit, whatever it is, but I wish to get on the path of growth. And with loving, understanding, and with rejoicing that someone has 
turned a corner on what is a dishonest act and a sin and a degrading kind of thing to do, we assist these people with a spirit of mercy and justice as best we are able to weigh the circumstances in consultation with the teachers involved. We are taught by the gospel about the supreme importance of the family. Why is the family so important? It is because the most important position we hold in this life is our position as a husband or wife, father or mother, and family member. When these relationships are sealed by the power of the holy priesthood, they are assured for all eternity. In every other position we hold in this life—my position, your position, church position, civic and employment, government—in every other position than the family, we are subject to being released by duly constituted authority in this life. Or, if it is a position we hold for life, the Lord can release us by arresting a heartbeat. Only those family positions are of eternal significance. Now, so much for commandments. What about the things we are asked to do by the servants of the Lord? A favorite example of mine is the March of Zion's Camp. The ostensible purpose of this march was to move 500 men from Ohio to Missouri to give military relief to the persecuted saints in Missouri. The real purpose and effect of the march was to develop faith and to give leadership training and experience to the men who were in Zion's camp. They were the individuals who would be called to lead the kingdom. They could not have known at that time, yet in retrospect they knew and the prophet knew that the purpose of Zion's camp was to prepare them. And all twelve men who were later called to the Quorum of the Twelve, the first Quorum of the Twelve, including several who were to become presidents of the Church, were members of Zion's camp. Winston Churchill spoke of the sharp agate points upon which the ponderous balance of destiny turns. Every one of us has in our own lives those sharp agate points upon which the ponderous balance of our destiny turns. Thirteen years ago, my stake president called me to meet him for lunch in a downtown Chicago restaurant where he practiced law and where I practiced law. He called me to a stake mission. At that time, I was a counselor in the Sunday school superintendency of one of the wards in his stake. He called me to a stake mission and to be a counselor in the stake mission presidency. At that time, I was working every evening of the week and all day Saturday, excluding Sunday, as has always been my practice, but I was working morning, noon, and night six days a week on some very taxing assignments for the law firm that employed me. He called me on a stake mission and told me, as was his wont, perfectly unyieldingly, without any compromise, that I'd be expected to give 40 hours of proselyting time per month, in addition to attending meetings, bringing investigators to church, and doing the gospel study I would need to qualify myself as a stake missionary. I said to myself at that time that this was a turning point in my life. It was a test of my faith. Would I have the faith necessary to accept that position? in the employment in which I was involved. 
Even at that time, but surely as I look back on it, I recognize that as one of those sharp agate points that Churchill identified. Fortunately for me, I mustered the faith, accepted the call, and said to my president, if the Lord wants me to serve on that, in that position and I honor the calling as coming from the Lord through His servant, He will make it possible for me to do it. When do you want me to start? And he said, I have a call I'd like you to make tonight. I got my affairs in order and began that evening. Effective with that calling on the stake mission, I never worked after 5 o'clock again in the remaining course of my law practice. And I realized greater success than I had ever realized by any measure that a young man could choose for success in his chosen profession. The Lord made it up to me in countless ways that I have no, no time and indeed no ability to particularize for you, but I can simply tell you that my faith was rewarded in every possible way. But more important to me, as I look back, I see that that calling to a stake mission changed the direction of my life and set me on a course that brought me here to stand before you today in measurable, deliberate, and direct steps. Because as I began to do the work of that missionary calling, I began to reevaluate the course on which I had set myself professionally. I began to think about whether I wanted to spend the rest of my life in that particular law practice. And six months later, when I was offered a position that I had already declined, to go into law teaching, I accepted that position. I would never have accepted that position if it had not been for my calling to a stake mission. It offered me an opportunity to grow in faith, to grow in devotion and loyalty to the leadership of the Church, and in every way I can measure was a turning point in my life. We have these sharp agate points. They may turn us for the better. They may turn us for the worse. The only thing you can be sure of is that if you do what is right and make your decision prayerfully, you will make the right decision and you will be able to look back on it and say, that was a good decision in terms of the eternal course that I pursue. Robert Frost said it this way, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Accomplishment is pleasing to the Lord. He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A Nobel Prize by a member of this faculty or a member of this student body would, I am sure, reflect credit upon his Church and bring blessings to his children. Professor Kenneth R. Hardy of our faculty recently published an article in Science magazine in which he pointed out that Utah was the most productive of all states in the Union in several recent decades in the number of doctoral-level persons who were produced, and it was the most productive by a wide margin of all 50 states. He attributed this to a set of cultural values that promote scholarly and scientific activity. And these values, including belief in a world governed by law, the dignity of man, personal dedication, democratic and equalitarian ideals, are clearly, he said, attributable to Mormon values. That is another blessing you enjoy by your membership in the Church and your faithful following of the principles of the gospel. Consider the parable of the talents in connection with the use of your own talents. You remember that the Master gave different talents 
to each of his servants, but he held them accountable for the use of those talents. The illustration given was in worldly things. I think the principle applies to the use of our personal talents in worldly as well as what we call spiritual things. What proportion of your potential do you use, my brothers and sisters? What proportion of your talent do you use? Do you fool yourself? You may fool yourself and one another, but you will not fool your Heavenly Father. He knows whether He gave you five talents or two talents or one talent. What proportion of your potential do you use? Are you satisfied with less than your best at anything you do? Indeed, do you ever do your best? Are you pushed by someone else? Do you push yourself to do your best? What separates people is not so much intelligence or breaks, but it's determination. It's the proportion of our ability that we are determined to use. The Lord taught us to seek learning even by study and also by faith. The Lord has given us faith, and He expects us to cultivate it and use it. He has also given us talents, including the power to reason, and He expects us to cultivate and educate those powers, seeking learning by study. There's no better confirmation than the example of the Prophet Joseph founding the School of the Prophets, struggling to learn Hebrew, struggling to learn something about law, teaching his people under the inspiration of the Lord to study astronomy, geology, history, government, and every useful science and art, despite the fact that he enjoyed the direct communication with our Heavenly Father, he himself was out grubbing to learn all that he could by the means put at his disposal. How can any of us be justified in doing less? The Lord will bless us, but His blessings must follow our efforts. They rarely precede them. One of my favorite sayings that I brought for me out of a classroom at Brigham Young University was Newt Rockne's statement. You remember him, the famous football coach at Notre Dame. Newt Rockne said, Prayers work best when players are big. Now, I offer that to you not in a spirit of skepticism, but I, I cite it as an illustration of the proper balance of works and faith. The Lord's blessings normally don't come until we have expended every effort of which we are capable. Only when we have done all that we can does the Lord put us over the line. Recall the rebuke that the Lord gave all Cowdery when he was unable to translate. You have supposed that I would give it to you when you took no thought save it was to ask me. You must study it out in your own mind, and then ask me if it be right. You belong, my brothers and sisters, to a community of workers and doers, not to a community of dreamers or ascetics piously and passively waiting for the millennium. We are working to bring it to pass. The Lord's blessings, including inspiration for direction and guidance, Come to his children who are on the move. The Leahona came to Lehi and his children after years in the desert, not when they were in or just outside Jerusalem. The word of the Lord on the organization of the camp of Israel didn't come in Nauvoo. It came on the west bank of the Missouri near Omaha just about exactly one year after the saints had left Nauvoo. One of my favorite illustrations of this principle is the practical spirit of the founder of this university, Brigham Young. 
This concerns the Martin and Willie Handcart companies. My wife's great-grandmother, Margretta Clark, the wife of Anson Call, was in that Martin Handcart company. On October 5th, Brigham Young stood up in conference, Sunday, October 5th, and announced that these two handcart companies were in distress in Wyoming, six or seven hundred miles from Salt Lake. He said, my text today and the text for this conference is to get them here. This is the salvation I am now speaking for, to save our brethren who are apt to perish, Brigham said. Then what did he say about the Sabbath? I shall call upon the bishops this day. I shall not wait until tomorrow or the next day for 60 mule teams, 12 or 15 wagons, 20 or 12 tons of flour, and 40 good teamsters. And then he added this paragraph. I will teach you that all your faith, religion, and professing of religion will never save one soul of you in the celestial kingdom of our God unless you carry out just such principles as I am now teaching you. Go out and bring in those people now on the plains and attend strictly to those things which we call temporal or temporal duties. Otherwise, your faith will be in vain. The preaching you have heard will be in vain to you, and you will sink to hell unless you attend to the things I tell you. You'd know that was Brigham Young if I hadn't told you who it was. <laughs> now, we have all over this campus, my brothers and sisters, men and women who are working, who are applying the principles of which I have spoken who recognize the gospel as a blessing, who recognize work as a privilege, who recognize challenge as an opportunity. We have people whose efforts are going to bring about a hastening of the day of our Lord. We have people who are working on the technology to spread the gospel message. We have people who are working on programs to teach people how to read, people who are working on how to translate languages by computers. These are faithful workers, and the Lord will bless them and inspire them but those blessings and that inspiration will come to them as they study it out on their own mind and apply the best learning at their disposal. And how about you, our students? Sitting here are future government leaders, future general authorities, leaders of business, world-famous musicians and artists and mothers and fathers of many, many more. You will receive blessings to use the skills you have obtained, but the Lord expects you to prepare yourself to be used by Him. He will crown your effort with blessings. He will not initiate the effort. If you will be an instrument in the hands of the Lord, put forth the effort to make yourself shiny and sharp as such an instrument. We are recipients of the gift of commandments and a philosophy that teaches us to aspire to the gods and promises us help in attaining our aspirations. Let us be off with renewed determination along the upward path of growth. In that revelation from the Lord that speaks of blessing us with commandments not a few, the Lord gives us a commandment to love our neighbor, to keep the Sabbath, and other commandments. And He tells us to do these things with thanksgiving, with a glad heart and a cheerful countenance. And then he says, He who doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. May that be our happy lot, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ.
Amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.